Good morning, Two Rivers. Merry Christmas. It is Advent. I'm so excited. Uh, it is my favorite. Well, actually, I don't know. Easter might be my favorite. Christmas is light in the darkness. I don't know how many of you are like me and you become a little bit depressed this time of year because the daylight shrinks. And the sun is setting tonight literally at 4.33 p.m. and it breaks my heart a little bit. I feed myself with cookies and Christmas things to help get me through. Uh, Christmas lights, family, uh, all the events and the hot chocolate and the gingerbread, all the things we do because it seems to make the darkness a little bit more bearable. We get together a lot this time of year. How many people are hosting some kind of family event, friends, Christmas holiday thing? Raise your hand. Truly, I want to see. Oh, second service. Not a lot of you. I am surprised. Uh, I don't know about you or maybe your parents or friends. When they host something, they get a little bit crazy. And everyone in my house is commanded to clean and clean quickly. The things I never even noticed the whole year are suddenly extremely important. Like my baseboards need to be cleaned suddenly because somebody is coming and I need to prepare for them to come. I clean my windows. Things that never really bothered me before now are super important as I get ready for people to come be with us. Advent is coming. Advent is a celebration where we prepare for the arrival or the coming of somebody, especially who's extremely important to us. And in this case, I think it might help us kind of grasp this idea. If you were to think of somebody, dead or alive, that you could ask through all time to come have dinner at your house, who would it be? Take 10 seconds, and I want you to come up with somebody and share it with the person next to you. Ready? Go. Okay, I want to hear maybe three or so examples of somebody important. You can help us all understand, like an important person, what that means. Who would it be? Who would you invite? Somebody said Taylor Swift first service, so there's no wrong answer. Taylor says, who? Steve Irwin? Nice, yes. Who else? Tupac? (gasps) No historical figures? in second service? (laughs) Abe Lincoln, thank you. There's one. Uh, Jesus cannot be your answer because that's literally what Advent is about. So we're already talking about that today. But if that person you said really was coming, what would you do? And add this, you don't know when they're coming. You have to live in this constant state of readiness. And that anticipation is what Advent is and hope are about. This week, we're talking about hope specifically for Advent. And every week, we're going to look at the Advent theme through the eyes of the people in the Nativity story. This week, we're going to talk about Mary and Elizabeth and their experience 
with hope. But first, let's talk about what hope actually means. The Bible Project uh, does a really great job defining it with two Hebrew words, yachal, which literally means to wait for, like Noah waited for the flood waters to recede in the ark so he could come out. It took a long time. Or the word kava. Ka is a cord that's like pulled tight, and va is that release when you're waiting in anticipation for it to snap back, and that hopeful waiting anticipation that's going to happen, you just don't know when. Kava. Anticipating release is hope. Waiting is hope. The difference between our Christian understanding of hope is that hope is waiting with promise. Promise for something allows you to wait. You know who's coming. You don't know when, but they're coming. That's the promise. Hope without promise, like the world hopes, is just wishing. I'm wishing that something might happen. It's probably not. It's also different than optimism, which is hoping, really waiting on the circumstances of the odds that will make it happen. Christian hope is about waiting on a person who promised and that they will be faithful and true. It is not optimism. It's not wishful thinking. It is a person. Everyone who waits, as we open to Luke 1, is a part of the story. There are Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They're waiting. Mary is waiting. Simeon and Anna later are waiting. Even the priests in the temple with Zechariah are waiting. Everyone is waiting for something And they have all received a promise that allows them to wait. Everyone in this story and in Israel has been thrown into darkness. The hope has not arrived. The promise hasn't even really arrived for our players here in Luke. Israel has had a promise given to them the very last page of the Old Testament. When you're in Luke 1... If you turn page right before it, is Malachi. But between those two pages, there's 400 years of time that passed when God didn't say or speak anything new to the people of Israel. They call them the years of silence. And for Israel, it is symbolic of darkness and silence. They felt like God had clothed himself in darkness and hid his face from them. When they prayed, they felt like it was falling on death ears. They couldn't see the light, but they did have a promise also, and that is what allowed the remnant to wait through the long, dark night of 400 years. The Jews had this promise. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. He is the Messiah and he will make everything new. This is what happens when we lose our hope. Even as Christians, we have the promise, but we don't all carry hope for that promise. 210 million adults in the U.S., 
65, of them, 65 million of them used to attend church regularly, but no longer do. 2.7 million more leave every year, and 30 million of those still consider themselves Christians, but don't see going to church as necessary for faith. There's a lot of reasons for this. A lot. I understand that. But the Protestant evangelical understanding of faith is that it's primarily personal. And it is. It is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But we experience and live out that relationship and hold hope together in community. And we're going to look at that today. How do we hold hope in the long, dark night? The night will grow darker. Jesus said in Isaiah, he quoted that before the end, when the day of the Lord arrives, what we are waiting for, our promised hope as Christians is the second advent. That's really what we're celebrating today, is our hope of Christ's second coming. The day will grow darker. Many will fall away. The sun and the moon and the stars even will grow dark. It will be the darkest of times. We must hold on to hope to get through that long, dark night. Before we jump into our text, I want to give you just a quick idea of the dark night that happened for Israel. After Malachi, they were exiled. They lost their nationhood. Their physical home is gone. They would come back to it in pieces and parts and leave and come again, but four different nations ruled over them over these 400 years. Some of them did a fairly okay job. They weren't the worst, but others were downright oppressive, killing, stealing, destroying. They took away and destroyed the temple that was the most sacred holy place that made these people a people. It was God's place, and it was symbolic of his presence with them, and it was destroyed. The Torah, their word of God, was taken away. It was literally burned. Every copy they could find was destroyed. Some remained, but the problem is the Jews also lost their language. None of them spoke Hebrew anymore after the Greeks came in and took over power. So the very word that they had, they couldn't even read. They needed somebody else to do it for them and interpret it. The other thing that happened was that the Jews themselves split into different sections and sects. And and those are the the Pharisees, Sadducees, that we, we encounter in the New Testament with Jesus. They, as a people, no longer had an identity apart from their hope of the promise. Everything had been stripped away from them by the world. They needed hope. Everyone was waiting 400 years of silence and darkness, some still held on. How do we have hope? Especially when we can't see it anywhere. The night grows darker still today. We hope for our second advent by looking back at the first advent, just like the Jews did. When they were looking forward to the Messiah coming, they looked back at what God had done for them and their people before. We remember what God has done to declare that he is faithful to fulfill his promises. This Sunday is about hope for the light that we have not seen yet. In Luke 1, you can turn there if you haven't already. Uh, We are going to start with Mary 
and her encounter with the angel. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. I want to stop there for a moment. I think that it's easy for us to read into this interpretation of what favor means based on our English interpretation. The Greek word itself literally means to have been freely given favor. It's not something that you have based on what you have done or not done. Favor is something that is bestowed on someone by God. And it is our choice and Mary's choice to receive it. It sounds like she's blessed and favored because of something she's done. But favor itself is the blessing freely given and bestowed to all who would believe. Mary even describes herself as poor, humble, lowly, hungry, that nothing in and of herself would qualify her from receiving this kind of promise, this gift that would happen through her. She also, though, identified herself as a virgin. Even before she has a name, we know her as a virgin, the virgin, named Mary. And it was significant enough to God's promise that it gave her pause. How can this be? How can this promise happen for me since I am a virgin? This isn't unlike Moses' response when God said, I'm going to deliver my people out of Egypt through you. And Moses said, whoa, who am I? Do you know who I am? Let me tell you who I am. I stutter. I make mistakes. I'm a murderer. I've done these things. Do you, do you know who I am? God said, I am, in response. For Mary to receive the blessing and the promise that God had for her, her I am had to change. I am a virgin. How can this be? The angel explained to her, this is God's work. And her I am changed. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. What's your I am? Mary's I am could have limited God's possibilities and the promise in her life. But it didn't because her I am changed. Who are you? My I am has changed over time. I grew up in a, a family that was divorced and they lived far apart, remarriages, <clears throat> other children, and I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I fell in the cracks everywhere I went. I wasn't part of any family, really. I just didn't belong, and I wasn't seen. 
and I didn't know how to be in a family. I didn't know how to receive the promise and the gift that was a part of being in a family with that understanding of who I was. I don't belong. I don't belong in this church. I don't belong anywhere. God had to change my I am. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. Is your I am your education? Is it your culture, your race, your age, your experience, your inexperience? Your ability or your disability? Those things are a part of who God has made us to be, and they're significant in that they shape how we share God with the world, but they are not who we are. I am says who you are. Will you receive it? We limit our reception of God's promises for our life when those I am statements become more important than what God says is possible and true in you and your life and your story. We are limited with our own I am, but with God's I am, anything is possible. Not everyone is really looking to receive a blessing. Not everybody really knows how to deal with God's promise. My favorite story in 2 Kings is with the Shulamite woman. woman. And Elijah tells her, you're going to have a baby in a year. This time next year, you'll have a baby. And she said, no, man of God, do not deceive me. Do not get my hopes up. And she left. I love that. No, I will not be deceived. I'm not going to get my hopes up. No, thanks. Moses, do you know who I am? I don't know if I can receive this promise, God. And then there's Mary with her childlike faith. I know where my my food comes from. I, I know who my source is. I am a virgin, but I am the Lord's servant. And then there's Jacob, who is my other personal favorite in Genesis 32. In his long, dark night, he wrestles till dawn with God to receive the blessing. And it's not that he's wrestling to grasp and pull the blessing out of God like God doesn't want to give it to him. It's that he understands that in the darkness and in the fighting, there is a blessing to be had. And hope is not letting go of the promise giver so that you can receive the blessing even before the day comes. The hope is there, and we seize it and cling to it to get us through the long night. No matter our response to the promise, though, they all still receive it. The Shulamite woman still receives her son. Moses goes to Egypt. Mary conceives, and Jacob's name changes. He goes from, I am Jacob, to I am Israel. What is your I am? I am the Lord's. Mary, receiving the promise, conceives hope. She literally gives us this picture of what hope happens what it does in us when we believe what God has said to us is true. The angel replied, 
the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One will be born and called the Son of God. Overshadow in the Jewish tradition is just like what we find in Genesis 1, where the earth is formless and void and empty and there is darkness and the Holy Spirit is hovering, overshadowing and creating through God, with God and the Word. God's Word says, let there be light and there's light. In Mary, light is born before anybody even sees it. When she says yes, light comes. Scientists have just recently discovered that uh, when an embryo is fertilized, it emits this pulse of energy like that's light, and it can be measured with cameras like never before. Here's the second one. Minute. The one on the far left is the control that is not fertilized. The other two are. It's so cool. <laughs> this clump of 32 cells is about one millimeter in size. And the promise, not yet born, has begun. It is created. In darkness, light happens with the receipt of the promise, though nobody has seen it, heard it, touched it. It's there in us. To conceive literally means to seize something and grab hold of it. And our hope that we seize is the promise of light, Jesus Christ, in the darkness. God is light, and there is no darkness in him. But here it is as if he did wrap himself in a cloak of darkness. His light was never diminished, made himself as small as a mustard seed, and entered the world. It would be nine months before that promise is born, before light is seen by man, before it's heard, celebrated, shared, before the angel announces it. And I want to suggest that Christmas didn't happen, didn't start in the manger. It started with Mary's yes, that God's word for her was true. And from there, God created something new in her. And her hope was to believe it and to walk in the blessing and the favor that comes through believing God's promises before we see or hear or touch them. The kingdom of Christ arrives. He comes. The advent is here when we say yes. No eye has seen, no ear has heard yet what God plans for those who love him. What promise have you been given that you have not yet seen? I know there are a lot the restoration of a broken marriage, addiction to be defeated, families to be restored, the baby that you've prayed for and haven't seen. There are promises 
and the dark night until we get there is still dark, but we have hope. Because though we cannot see the light in the darkness, it is still there. Hope is expecting beyond our own expectations. Living like it's already here, that is the blessing that sustains us and gets us through the dark night. Mary receives the promise from the angel, but she is still walking alone in this dark place with this promise. And God gives her a solution. How do you hold on to hope? while you're still waiting. Gabriel tells Mary in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. There is somebody else who has a promise too. Go to them. There is somebody else who's further down the road waiting for their promise that has traveled farther and they're waiting. Go be with them. Mary arrives. She sees Elizabeth. And then Elizabeth, just hearing her voice, the baby inside of her leaps with joy. Part of John's promise, the baby, to Elizabeth was that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And when he hears the mother of Jesus, he leaps for joy. And then Elizabeth, too, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she confirms Mary's promise. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth's testimony confirmed what Mary was waiting for. Mary's presence confirmed what Elizabeth was waiting for. These two women together created space where they could wait for the promise together. This is church. That is what church is for. Those who have the promise wait together, seize and grab hold of the hope, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's job with us, in us, is to testify to what is true that God has said about you, that the promise that you're believing for in your relationship, in your marriage, your personal life is true. It is good, and God will be faithful to fulfill it, so don't give up. Hebrews 10, 23 puts it this way. Let us hold or seize unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us not Give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Encourage one another, all the more as you see the day of promise approaching. It is a long night sometimes. We don't know when it's coming, but we have a promise, and it is sure. Hope is seizing the promise together. You know when you're in college, and you think it's a good idea to have an all-nighter? You have to do it with friends. You have to do it with other people or else you're going to fall asleep. You need the other people there to keep you awake. I, there was one night we did uh, two all-nighters in a row, and that was a mistake. There was absolutely no value in it just to see if we could do it, and it was the most physically painful thing I've done in a long time. 
It is waiting together, keeping each other awake so that you can see the promise when it comes. Whether you are jabbing your neighbor to stay awake, like the 10 virgins with their uh, lamps of oil that Jesus talks about in Matthew, through the night, they are together, keeping each other awake so they can recognize the bridegroom when he's coming. Stay awake together. This is church. This is why it's so important that as the nights grow darker, we don't neglect meeting together. Our faith is personal, and it is built and formed and protected together. What are we watching for, though? If we're staying up all night long to see the sunrise, to see the promise come, do we know what it looks like when it does come? God seems to do miraculous things that are not reasonable, nor do they appear to make sense. Like praying for uh, deliverance with the Messiah. We are expecting a military might of power coming to physically deliver the people of God. And God gives us a baby. We're praying for an oak tree, and God gives us a seed. I had a friend who uh, her stepmom felt like she'd received a promise from God. She had overheard her stepmom saying to her friend, I heard God tell me, He's promised us a baby. He has promised He would give me a child. Over the next 10 years, they had four miscarriages. And all that time, my friend, who's probably about uh, 14 or so, starting at 14, thought, I'm right here. And in the last year, that mom came to her and said, I see now you were the promise that God was giving me. It, I didn't recognize it immediately, but I do now. That's me. I didn't feel like I belonged. And my I am had to change. And it did. Through a promise. And it wasn't even mine. Our I am allows us to receive the blessing and the favor that comes through believing the promise of God for our lives. If you have a promise, you're not just waiting you're watching. Hope is watching with anticipation for the day that it comes. Like all the signs when childbirth is near and you're in pain and every, there's Braxton Hicks and things and you think you're going into labor every five minutes and you're really like three weeks out, but you can't tell because of all the signs. We're watching for the signs to see when it is near. The darkness is not anti-God. God created the darkness. Darkness is light to God. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden from him. Darkness makes us afraid because we can't see. We don't know what's there. God does. He knows. The dark night allows us to recognize the light and the promise when it is born, when it comes. 
if you could see a candle in daylight outside, it'd probably take you a while to find it, just anywhere outside this building, because it's so bright outside, the light of the candle would be barely discernible. But at nighttime, you can see the flame of a candle with a human eye from this point right here to Canvas Stadium, assuming there was nothing blocking your view, no buildings. It's 1.7 miles away, you can see candlelight at night. The darkness may be the very way that God reveals his light that has come. We do not despise the darkness. Just because our eyes can't see what's come, we might be able to see further when it does come. Hope is faith in the things that we cannot see. Here's what we can see in terms of the light spectrum. That itty-bitty rainbow right there in the middle is the amount of light the human eye can perceive compared to what's actually out there. God sees all that, created all that. That is light in this world. And I want to propose to you that the most important light is the light we cannot see. Has anybody seen the show on Netflix? Yes. (laughs) The author doesn't say he's a Christian. But if you can, all the light you cannot see, it's on Netflix. Um, I'm not getting paid for saying that. But it is Christian. (laughs) It is a, a blind girl in a time of darkness and war and strife. And her father creates a three-dimensional wood map of their town to help her get around in this darkness and the way that she perceives darkness. And she is wholly dependent on him to teach her how to navigate the world without seeing. But she relies on his sight. The most important light is the light we cannot see. The light that's already been birthed in us and we say yes to Christ is our hope. The light that comes when Jesus is born and the light that everyone will see on the day of his coming. When everything will be restored and the promises, every promise will be fulfilled in Jesus. What is dark to us is light to God. We, like Israel, are waiting We're waiting for the day of the Lord. Everyone who believes in the word of the Lord has the light of life in them. The darkness cannot overcome it because it is in you. And together, we are that light to the world, like a city on a hill, the rest of the world, to draw them closer in the night, to be different, to let it shine and let it be visible That when that addiction ends and when that marriage is restored and when that baby comes, we say through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is real and his promise is sure and he is faithful and he does save and everything in my life is a testimony to what is true. Don't give up hope. That is why the power of the testimony is so powerful in the book of Revelation. It is the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony of the church that defeats Satan because it is declaring light. It is partnering with God and saying yes. We wait together before the day of the promise comes 
Jesus, in the meantime, when we receive the promise, when we believe that what God says is true about him and for us, Jesus is knocking on the door of our house. Not as the royal guest, the one we talked about, who's coming pomp and circumstance and it's going to be crazy. Jesus, when we receive the promise, knocks. And I'm like, my house isn't ready. My baseboards are a mess. My three-year-old's looking windows. I don't know what's in that dark attic. I'm too afraid to look in the dark basement because I don't know what's there. I need, to, I need to get it ready. And Jesus says, if you just open up just a little bit, just the size of a mustard seed, believe I will help you clean. I am not the guest. I am the friend and the helper who comes and helps you scrub your brace boards that will open up those dark closets where the things hide that we are too afraid to look at by ourselves. The rage, the anger, the addiction, the things that still happen in Christians. But they will not stay there. They will not overcome, and that's the promise. It does not rule and reign in the life of a Christian because this amount of light has started with a yes. The mustard seed, and the reason why Jews were not allowed to plant mustard seeds in their garden was because this tiny little seed would take over the entire garden. Jesus came into the world the size of a mustard seed and created light And the world has not been the same, and nor will it be. All he needs is this much space. He doesn't need a beautiful guest room. He'd be happy with the shed in the backyard, probably even the mudroom where the dog sleeps, based on the nativity. I think he just wants somewhere to lay his head. He will transform our home so it's ready when he comes again. In Revelation 22, 7, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, and blessed is the one who keeps and seizes the words of the prophecy of this book. The prophecy is the promise. And the Spirit of God and the Bride of Christ, which is the church, us, we all say, Come. Come, Jesus. Blessed are we. Blessed are you when you believe that God will be faithful to what he has promised you. The hope of belief is that the promise is coming. But hope is the blessing, the favor that gets you through the long, dark night where you can live with the promise as a reality for you now. Eternity is now in the Christian. We do not have to wait. It's for us. Worship team, you can come back. Here's my prayer for you. It's Romans 15, 13. May the God who gives you hope fill you with great joy and may you have perfect peace as you trust in him. May the power of the Holy Spirit fill you with hope. God, you are the promise giver, the light maker, and you make light in us so that we 
would no longer walk in darkness, but that we would have the hope of light in the dark places. We are not alone because you are with us. We are blessed and favored because we have received you. And there is nothing any longer that can hinder us from you. We are the Lord's servants. May it be as you have said to us. In Jesus' name, amen.